Hi there, this is Darren Spoo, pastor at First Baptist Church in Tulsa, and welcome to our weekly message podcast. We would invite you to join us in person Sunday morning at 8.30 and 11 o'clock in downtown Tulsa, or check out our webpage at tulsafbc.org. God bless you, and have a great week. So, quick review. We're kind of getting close to the end of our teaching series on anger. Uh, I just want to do a a bit of a a touch-up to remind you of some things, that anger is not a sin. Anger is an emotion, but it's an emotion that very quickly can lead to sin if we're not careful. In fact, this morning in your community groups, you're going to be discussing Ephesians chapter 4, that in your anger do not sin, that when we are angry as an emotion, we have a choice to let it lead to sinful behavior or not. And I've kind of put together a list of three questions based on everything I've read and researched over the last six months or so. How do you make sure that anger doesn't become a sin? Well, three questions. Does this really matter or is this just about me? In other words, there's a difference between an injustice, which we should be angry about, and an inconvenience that we need to make sure that we don't overreact in light of. So... Uh, Friday afternoon, I was driving down South Sheridan, heading south at 41st Street there right in front of Sam's, and literally I saw this car come blazing behind me, and the intersection that I'm sitting at, the people were already turning out of the Sam's parking lot area. They were turning left, and this guy cut right through. I mean, he literally threaded the needle between two turning cars. He didn't even slow down through the intersection. It was like something out of a movie, Right. And I knew my wife was coming from the opposite direction, so I called her immediately and I said, crazy driver on the road, driving a black Camry, here's the license plate number, you want it? No, I'm just kidding, <laughs> wish I could have gotten it. But I found myself angry, why? Because it's not just a bad driver, that's an inconvenience. This was a dangerous driver. This was somebody that was gonna get somebody killed if they're not careful, all right? So, does this really matter or is it just about me? The stuff that's just about me, I, I probably need to chalk it up to an inconvenience and not overreact. Second question, am I using my anger as a tool or as a weapon? So oftentimes we use our anger as a weapon to hurt other people, to tear down other people. That never reflects the teachings and the attitudes of Christ, right? So we should use our anger as, as a tool to build something up, but if we're using it as a weapon to tear others down, that's when anger becomes sinful. By the way, I wish, are, are you tired of the political commercials yet? And it's just the midterm elections. I wish instead of politicians telling me how they're a good Christian, I wish they would show it in the way that they talk about their opponent. How about that? What if we used our anger as, you know, tell me what you're for, not who you're against. But oftentimes we use our anger as a weapon instead of as a tool to tear other people down rather than building something up. And the final question, um, and I, I stole this from a quote by Paulo Coelho, who, this is my favorite quote of all time, the world is changed by your example, not by your opinion. And so when I get angry, am I willing just to offer my opinion or am I willing to offer my example? Am I willing to spout off or, or am I willing to show up and really make a difference, right? In fact, here's a great spiritual discipline. Don't offer your opinion this week unless you are directly asked for it. There just went your social media post for the week. It's gone, right? Instead of offering your opinions, why not offer your example, okay? So, 
according to our teaching plan, and again, in, in your community groups, we're going with Ephesians chapter 4 today. Normally, I, I preach along with that teaching plan, but today I'm departing from this because a few weeks ago, I came across a psalm that it just kind of surprised me with, with all this talk of anger. I was like, this tells something to me very valuable. This is kind of a step-by-step on how to handle anger in an increasingly evil world. So get this, you're going to have to follow this illustration very carefully. April 1944, Howard Hughes, famous aviator filmmaker, he flew from L.A. County all the way to Washington, D.C., April 1944. And he picked up a very special passenger. He picked up Orville Wright. And this was to be Orville Wright's last plane flight before his death, and he flew him back to L.A. Now, what's interesting is the plane he was flying, the Lockheed Constellation, has a wingspan of 126 feet. Do you realize that is six feet longer than the Wright brothers' first flight 40 years earlier? The wingspan of that plane was longer than the Wright brothers' first flight. We seem to make so many advances when it comes to technology and know-how and all these advances we make, but it seems that we just can't advance a single step on how to handle anger. It seems that in our world, it's becoming more and more evil. So, you know, is the world more evil today than it's ever been? Well, yes and no. There's the same kind of evil that there's always been. There just happens to be more sinners on the planet doing that evil, right? And so, how do we, in an increasingly evil world, not become angry people, not become angry Christians? So, I'm going to ask you to turn with me to Psalm chapter 37. Psalm 37, one of the Psalms of David. Um, I'm a big planner, so, you know, I've planned almost a year out to preach on Ephesians 4, but departing from that today, I, I don't do that lightly, but I think there's something in here very important that we need to wrap our minds and our hearts around. So this is Psalm 37, starting in verse 1. Do not fret because of those who are evil. Or be envious over those who do wrong. I like another translation here that says, don't worry because people are wicked. Don't envy those who are evil. For like the grass, this is talking about the evil people, for like grass they will soon wither, like green plants they will soon die away. This is an illustration made for Oklahoma right here. So this summer, you remember, and unfortunately it's cooling down a little bit, we're getting a little more rain. But I remember earlier this summer, there was no amount of water that I could put on my lawn that was going to keep my fescue from turning brown. <laughs> it was just so dry and brown. But at the same time, on my driveway, and I probably need to get a new driveway here one of these days, I've got a lot of cracks, and all this green grass comes flourishing up through the driveway cracks. I go, how does that happen? Now, I shared this several years ago with a friend of mine who actually pours concrete for a living. He said, here's the secret to it is that under that slab, sometimes the dry soil under there will wick the water so you actually get moisture trapped under the slab that provides a constant form of moisture for this. That's why you're always having to cut down the, the grass that grows in the cracks, right? So here's what Psalm 37 is saying. God says, trust me on this. Is there evil in the world? Yes. Are you going to be angry about it? Yes. But be careful not to sin because I've got it under control. I see the big picture. And ultimately, those who are evil will wither away. By contrast, though, those of us who are planted in the hard places in life sometimes, who are just trying to do good, 
we have a secret source that comes from God. He will sustain us as we trust Him. So now what the psalmist does, what David does here, is he gives this big statement, okay? Don't worry about the wicked. Don't envy the evil. They'll wither like grass, but, but you'll flourish, trust me. So it's easy to say that, but it's hard to know how to do that. So the psalmist almost gives some step-by-step instruction, and I'm careful to, I don't want to turn this into a step-by-step because this is poetry, this is prayer. This is not so much a strategy as it is giving insight to the bigger picture. And so if if you have your Bibles open, what I want you to notice is verse 3, verse 4, verse 5, verse 7, they all are action steps that we're encouraged to take. So here's the first one. Trust in the Lord and do good. As evil abounds in the world, you can be angry about it, or you can trust in the Lord and do good. You can dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. What does it really mean to trust in the Lord? We hear that all the time. I just need to trust God. What, What does that really mean? Well, it's tied to the idea of doing good. So let me phrase it this way. Do you trust God enough to live your life according to His commandments? Do you really trust God enough that He knows what He's talking about? And here's a way of looking at the commands of God. God gives us His commands not because He wants to kill all the fun in life. He says, I know the way life is meant to work. I know the way it works best, so that's why I've given you these commands. So do you trust me enough not to live according to your instincts, but to live according to my instructions? Here they are. And by the way, you can tell what you really believe by how you behave. Not about what you say. We practice what we really believe in how we behave day in and day out. So what I would encourage you to do is, is this. Do you, do you trust God enough to actually live life the way that He says to live? Here's what I would encourage you to do for starters. Read the Ten Commandments. <laughs> Say, am I trusting God enough to, to live according to these? Read Jesus' message on the mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. He, he gives insight there on how to live. He talks a lot about hatred. He talks a lot about forgiveness. Do we trust God to actually do what He says? You know what all this translates to? How do we deal with ongoing evil in the world? How do we make sure it doesn't make us angry? We live under God. I don't mean that as a catchphrase and a pledge of allegiance. We literally live our lives. If I were to sum up verse 3 in a different way, it would be, I live under God. Let's look at verse 4. Trust in the Lord and do good. Verse 4, take delight in the Lord... And he will give you the desires of of your heart. The older translation, and often misapplied, (laughs) this is a dangerous verse, in my opinion, because it has been so warped. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Do you see what this is? It's not focusing on all the evil out there in the world. It's focusing on, I need to trust in the Lord, I need to do good, and I need to delight myself in God. So let me just ask you, is there anything about God today that just delights you? Just just think, I'm not trying to ask you to manufacture emotions, but just think for a minute. What's something about God that delights you? Uh, A a frog has a tongue that is one-third the length of its body. If humans were constructed by those same proportions, our tongue would reach down to our belly button. 
that paints quite the picture, doesn't it? You know, what I was going to say here is I was going to say it would solve our belly button lint problem. I mean, we could just, but I decided not to say that this morning. That just paints quite the picture, doesn't it? Yeah. What if your tongue could reach down to your belly button? Hey, Darren, you've got some lint. Hmm. I love blue. Blue is good. Listen to me. Your tongue can reach heaven. Your mouth, what you say here, can reach the ears of God. Don't, don't underestimate this, that Jesus has so restored our relationship with God that if we find ourselves in need, we can speak and God hears. I mean, to me, I find that to be delightful, that God would actually listen to me, not because of who I am, but because of what Jesus Christ has done, right? Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Now, this has often been misapplied to say, well, I just have to love God, and I can ask for whatever I want, and God's going to give it to me. Now, let's be careful. That's prosperity gospel, and that's very dangerous stuff. It's very dangerous stuff. Because notice this, as we delight ourselves in God, what do we want? We want Him. He becomes the desire of our heart. And guess what? You can have as much of God as you want. You can have as much of Him as you want. And so, as we trust in the Lord and do good in this increasingly evil world, how do we not become angry? Well, we live life under God, but we also live life for God. If I were to sum up verse 4 in, in, in a word, we, we live for God, to delight ourselves in Him. And again, the focus is not so much on the evil world. It still exists, but we're trying to do good. We're taking delight in God. Verse 5, commit your way to the Lord and trust in Him, and He will do this. He will make your righteous reward shine like the dawn and your vindication like the noonday sun. If I were to sum up verse 5 and 6 in a single word, it would be we live with God. We live in a world that feels very fragile, that on any given day, you don't know what's going to happen, and an accident could happen to any of us this next week, and next Sunday, we will not be here. In fact, I, I read this week of a, a lady, you probably don't know her name, she lived about a century ago, named Violet Jessup. She was a ship nurse during World War I, and she was on a ship called the Britannic. It hit a mine, a sea mine. It started sinking. She was rescued on a vessel, so she survived one ship sinking. Then she went to serve on a, another warship called the Olympic. It collided with another warship. It sank. She survived. Then after the war, she took another trip on a ship, you might have heard of it, called the Titanic. So here's three ships that sunk, and she survived every time. In fact, when the Titanic struck the iceberg, you know what she did? She went back to her stateroom and grabbed her toothbrush because she remembered that on the previous rescue vessels, she was dying for a toothbrush, that, for there were no extras. So she just knew somehow that she was going to survive. Can I tell you this? If you are living under God, if you are living for God, if it's your intent to live with God, you'll survive. Now, I don't know what's going to happen to you this week, but our lives are in His hand. That even if evil befalls me, my eternity is secure in Christ. And here's the deal. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you're a Christian, the story ends great for all of us. So why do we have to fear evil? Why do we have to fear the bad things that happens? The story will end well in Christ because we live life under Him, for Him, and with Him. And then verse 7, be still before the Lord 
Wait patiently for him. Do not fret when people succeed in their ways, read that evil ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. Be still before the Lord. So let me give you this challenge. The next time you're, you're angry and you're about to boil over, be still. Be still. I, I want to play with this idea for just a moment because how did you learn how to be angry? When you, when you have an angry outburst, where, where did you learn that from? Well, chances are somebody else modeled that for you. And it wouldn't surprise me too much if you get angry just the way your mom or your dad did, whether you bottle it and explode or whether you, you have a hair trigger, whatever, you're, you're probably angry the same way your parents were because you learned it from them. And then how else did you learn how to be angry? Lots and lots of practice. We practice it over and over and over again until we get in some bad habits. So if you have some bad anger habits and you want them to be better, what do you do? Well, how do you drive out a habit? You drive it out with another habit. It's like if you've ever had a, a nail that you couldn't get out, you couldn't pry it loose from the side of the head, what do you do? You go on the other side of the board with another nail and you drive it out. You drive out a bad habit with a good habit. Here's the habit, be still. The next time you're about to boil over in anger, be still and ask two questions. I know I'm asking a lot when those emotions peak but ask yourself two questions. What am I really feeling right now? Because chances are you're not feeling anger at all. You're feeling something else. And usually it's stress, sadness, and I can't remember the third one, but it was really good, I promise you. <laughs> Hang on. One more minute. It really is good. Stress, sadness, and stressed. Dang it. There were just two. I thought there were three. <laughs> scared. No, that was the third one. Scared. I was telling somebody, I was telling Leanne up here a minute ago, I'm getting freaking old. You know that? And by the way, you're not looking great either. Some of you are just, you're looking worse than I am. Yeah. So next time you get angry, I just want you to ask, what, what am I really feeling right now? Chances are you're feeling stressed, you're feeling sad, or you're feeling scared. There it is. We finally made it, friends. Okay. Then ask yourself this question, what's really going on right now? Because when we're angry, we're typically dealing with things that are here on the surface. What we need to do is drop down underneath and say, what's really happening right here? Because whatever's happening here on the surface is typically a symptom of something else that's happening. So could I encourage you next time you're angry, stop. Don't count to ten. Just ask yourself some questions. What am I really feeling? What's really going on here? Listen. Salvation is free, but maturity comes at a cost. And what we need to learn how to do is how to live under God, and then learn how to live for God, and then learn how to live with God, and then learn how to live in God. And that's what we do when we're still and we're silent. We try to look at what's really going on. So here's how this psalmist ends this part of the psalm, verse 8. Refrain from anger. He just told us how to do all that. Trust in the Lord. Take delight in the Lord. Commit your way. Be still. Refrain from anger. Turn from wrath. Do not fret. It leads only to evil. 
For those who are evil will be destroyed. Back to that idea that they're like grass that's gone brown. But those who hope in the Lord will inherit the land. A little while and the wicked will be no more. Though you look for them, they'll not be found. But the meek will inherit the land. If that sounds familiar, hang on. And enjoy peace and prosperity. So I've encouraged you before that as you read the Bible, look for words and phrases that repeat themselves because it's driving something home. Well, if you look in verse 3 and in verse 9 and verse 11, it's land, 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 inheriting something that's good. And we hear about the promised land that the Israelites were promised to inherit. So here's what Jesus would say. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Now, when Jesus uses that word meek in Matthew chapter 5, it's not weak. Meek is actually a word used for a trained horse. Here's a stallion that has all of this energy, all of this strength, but instead of it running wild, it's harnessed. It's tamed. It moves in a solid direction. Jesus said, blessed are those who take all their strength and harness it because then the whole world can be yours. Pierre de Fomont, he's not a name that you should know. Back in 1637, he was reading a book, and as he read this book, he, he was a mathematician. And, and by the way, I'm about to, to reveal my ignorance about math. I have no idea about math. I'm English, not math. So he's, he's reading this book, and all of a sudden, he just has this epiphany. And he says, I have found this proof for a certain math problem, and he spells it out, but unfortunately, the margin doesn't have enough room for me to contain it here. And so he had this moment of insight. He said, I figured it out. And he wrote in the margin. I'm sure he meant later on to come write it down. He never did. And so it was called Fermat's Last Theorem. And it took mathematicians 400 years to figure it out. And by the way, he wasn't making it up. He was a brilliant mathematician. He'd figured a lot of things out, but he just didn't write this down. And it took us four more centuries to figure it out. How do we not be angry in an evil world? Listen, the psalm doesn't write it in the margin. The psalmist writes it in bold and italics right in front of us. Trust in the Lord and do good. Take delight in the Lord. Commit your way to the Lord. Be still before the Lord. It's not a secret. It's right here in front of us. Now, let's go live this out. Would you stand with me? Let's pray together. Thanks so much for listening to our weekly message podcast. At the end of each worship service on Sunday morning, I offer a simple blessing, and I offer that blessing to you today. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you, and may God grant you peace, both now and forever. Amen.